here remember when they discovered electricity for the first time? <laughs> what? What's that? <laughs> My man. Yeah, I remember I was uh, I, I was a kid about the age of maybe something that just went out of the room and my brothers and I were playing hide and seek. And uh, I, I, we lived in kind of a, it wasn't really a farmhouse, but it was a little bit older house. And a lot of the lights in the closet still had that pull string fixture attached to the wall. And I remember I was hiding in a closet downstairs and uh, had the door cracked open a little bit because there was no light. I wanted to see when my brother was going to go zooming by. And so I uh, peeked out the window, or peeked through the, the door crack and, and go by a few times. And, and I stepped back into this dark closet and started looking around because I was bored. You know, I was a pretty good hider. My brother was, I don't know, three or something. And I was going to find me anyway. It was going to be hours. And I, uh, I remember looking around and seeing this fixture on the wall and, and thinking, what is that? I should stick my finger in it. I don't know what I was thinking. I just thought, there's something there with a hole in it. I mean, it's what you do, right? So I stuck my finger in this hole in the wall. And... Interesting. It's cold. Huh. God saw fit that there'd be a string attached to it. So I stuck my finger back in it. And I pulled the string. <laughs> and it did to me what it does to light bulbs. <laughs> I was like, nah! I, I mean, it was crazy. And I, I, so I pulled my finger back and I was like, whoa, I was in shock. Literally. <laughs> and so what did I do? I did it again. I thought that was great. I'm going to try it a second time. Second time, not so much fun. Yeah, it wasn't quite, quite the same. Yeah, so now that I've got you warmed up, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we come before you today. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, your, your, your word says that it is inspired by you. It is your, your directive to us. Lord, nothing I say today can bring life like your word does. So, Jesus, I pray that today your word would implant itself deep into our hearts, Lord Jesus, and you bring us life today from your scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so I stuck my finger in that thing, and it was just, it was just bad news. So, uh, James chapter 5, verse 13 says this. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing psalms of praise, sing songs to God. And worship, all we did this morning, right? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of the righteous accomplishes much. Your Bible may say the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Right, we have it up here on the screen, James 5.16. The prayer of the, of the righteous is powerful and effective. When I was, uh, my wife and I we hadn't been married forever, you know, and, and we had our, our first kid, and, and I remember uh, we had one of those canister vacuum cleaners. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's got like the, the, the big thing with the block on the back of it. It looks like a Ghostbusters mm -hmm. laser gun or something. You drag it around on the floor. I, I remember my kids 
Um, my, my first child, when I pulled this thing out of the closet, when she was first old enough to, to understand what I was even doing, she decided I should write that. And so she runs over and jumps on the back of it and just thought it was the most awesome thing. Right? And she would just sit there on it. And I'd be like, I can't really vacuum because you're sitting on the vacuum cleaner. And so I'd kind of move around and she'd ride it around the house. And, and, but something amazing would happen in her life. I would pull out this cord and, and it wound into the, into the thing. So it was like it was coming out of nowhere. Right? So I pulled the cord out and I, and I went and I, I plugged it in. And it was all of a sudden this machine elevated from being uh, just a thing to ride on to, to being this amazing miracle of awesomeness, right? I mean, the dog, I pulled this out of the closet, and the dog would cower in fear and quickly go away as if, as if we were going to levitate and slurp her up. And I remember when once this thing got powered, my, my, my child was just like, okay, that is crazy. What's it doing? I mean, there was something amazing that happened when this thing got power. When I stuck my finger in a light socket, it lit me up. And this is kind of what James is talking about in this, in this passage. It says, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Where, where it says here, powerful and effective, literally translated, this means to be plugged in to the power of God. The prayer of the righteous person. Who's, who, what's a righteous person? I mean, let's, let's talk about that for just a minute first. Right here in, uh, in verse 16, it says, confession trespasses trust one to another. Pray that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. To one another is what this is saying. We're to confess our sins one to another. This, this is saying that to the people in the church, James, the brother of Jesus, is writing to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And he's, he's, he's writing to them to say various other things. But this, he's saying that one to another, you who are in the church, if you're part of the body of Christ, you count in this. As the righteous people. So my question for you once again, who's who's the righteous people? Your answer should be me. Right? Everybody say, I am. One more time. Practice. I am. Right? The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. What's the next slide that's that's on here? It's it's saying that. Anybody recognize this word, this word, energeo? Energy. Right? It looks kind of familiar, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of, it, it's similar to the word that we use for power, for energy. And that's what James is saying, that, that it's like the prayer of a righteous person is plugged into the power of God. The miraculous things of God, the power of God for your circumstance is available when we plug into it. I love this next, this next verse, James chapter 5, verse 17. It says, it's talking about Elijah. And it says, Elijah was a man just like us. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. Because here's this guy that we read about in the Old Testament that, that called down fire from heaven to consume an offering. I mean, this is, this is like holy, miraculous power of God stuff, right? And we read about who this guy was. And James says to the church, he was a man just like us. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And so he prayed again. And it began to rain. And green things popped up and, and crops began to grow again. 
right? A man just like us. That's, that's, that's powerful stuff, isn't it? Could you imagine your prayers doing that? I tell my kids, Whitney, tell them to stop raining. <laughs> Only God can do that, Dad. Fine. Right? I mean, can you imagine your prayers being in a place to where you pray and ask God, God, help stop raining. I mean, there, there's other things involved in that, but how many of I, I, I don't know. I'd like to get out of, get out of here today and be like, Jesus. You know, it's kind of wet around here today. Yeah. This guy would be nice. There's a story in uh, Acts chapter 12 of uh, Peter. And he goes, he goes to, to jail, and he's chained between some jailers. And uh, as he's in there, uh, uh, apostles are already being killed. And most likely, that's going to be what's going to be happening to him. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 12 that the church is praying for him. Right? Believers have gotten together, and they were, they were praying their guts out for, for Peter. And in the middle of the night, Peter's sleeping, chained between guards. And all of a sudden, the Bible says he gets poked inside. He gets ribbed by an angel. Right? And wake up. And Peter woke up, and the Bible says that he thought he was just kind of dreaming. And the angel says, hey, we're out of here. And the chains fall off of, of Peter's arms and legs. And, and he goes out of the building, out of the jail. Doors are opening up. Everything's, everything's working out the way that it would if you're just going to walk out of jail, right? <laughs> so he, he goes out of jail, and, and he's like, all of a sudden comes to himself and realizes, I just got freed from, from jail by an angel. This is amazing. And so he goes to the place where he knows that the church is at. And they're all praying. And he goes to, the, to, to this house, and he knocks on the door. In the middle of the night, and they're all in there praying, their, their guts out, their hearts out, pleading for, for Peter's release. And the Bible tells us that a little girl named Rhoda comes to the door and peeks out. Oh, it's Peter. Closes the door, runs back in, and tells everybody, Peter's here. And they're like, go away. Oh, God, help Peter get free. We need him to survive to lead us. Peter's outside. Come on, get this guy here. Oh, God! Right, and, then, and Peter's standing outside, freezing his rear end off, right? And, and all of a sudden, they, they dogs on him. What? what? Peter's outside. And, and so they go and open the door, and sure enough, Peter's out there. God answered their prayer. Right? The people in church were praying for a miraculous thing that happened, and what, did they, what was their response? No way! <laughs> right? I was... Uh, at a hospital uh, with, a, with a, a close friend of mine one time, and it was probably 11 o'clock at night, and we were in a waiting room that was, that was all but one light on, and we were told that this little girl was going to be going into surgery. She was having some, some severe seizures, and it was caused by pooling of blood on her brain. Her brain was swollen when she was born. Her skull was fractured and collapsed in, and Inside there was, was, this, was this massive amount of pressure, and so uh, the, the surgeon came to speak to us before the surgery and said, we're going to we're gonna have to make an incision in her scalp about, about this big around, and we're going to have to remove uh, a section of, of her skull. Sorry if I'm grossing you out. And, and to relieve the pressure that's in there. And then over some time, that's going to relieve itself, and then we're going to, we're going to be able to put things, put things back. And so we began to pray as they went in for surgery. An hour and a half later, the surgeon came out. I don't even think it was that long. 
an hour and a half later, the surgeon came out and he said, he said, the strangest thing happened. We made an incision in, in, in this little girl's scalp. And the blood that was putting pressure in there came right out through the, the, the fracture. And her skull went pop right back to where it's supposed to be. All we did was sew it back up. And me, me and the, the, the person we were, I was praying, we were like high-fiving. And, and the surgeon's like, I don't get it. And we're like, you know, prayer. Because we told him we were going to pray to expect miraculous things. And he was like, whatever. And went into surgery. Uh, there was another time I was, I was praying at, at a church. Uh, there was a, a youth rally. I was a young, probably in high school at the time. And there was a youth rally going on. And we were beginning to, to pray for, for sick people, people that were, were struggling through some rough stuff. And this girl who was deaf. Uh, she'd been born deaf. She said that uh, she wanted prayer to be to be to be able to hear, and so we began praying for her. I mean, nothing was too big, right? I mean, we were we were young and we trusted Jesus. I mean, sometimes that falters a little bit as as you get older, but hopefully not. Right? <laughs> and we began to pray, and and we called this. I mean, there's probably 200 people that had, that had gathered around this girl, and I, I was just happened to be the one that was up there. At the beginning of it, and, and I had my hands on this girl's head, and I was I was praying for her, and and two hundred people were gathered around praying for this girl, and we prayed for about fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, until she seemed like she probably couldn't stand any longer from all the all the weight that was on her, and so we said Amen, and everybody went about worshiping Jesus some more, and she went down off the stage, and and, and for about the next three or four weeks, I had a wrestling match with God because. She could she couldn't hear any better when she walked off the stage than she could when when she came up there. I ran into her about three weeks later. She came to a, a, a youth meeting, came to our youth group, and and she came up to me and she said, "Hey, I want to thank you for praying." And and I said, well, "What do you mean?" And she could read lips really well. That's how this conversation was happening. And uh, I don't know about it this time, but she says, "I've, I've been to the doctor since." I received prayer, and my hearing has, has increased 65%. I can hear what you're saying. Wow. God answers prayer. Yes. We have a room full of stories in here today of people that have experienced miraculous things happening when they pray. The only problem is you guys don't get together and talk about it. <laughs> right? I want to encourage you guys, get on the get on our Facebook page for, for Crossroads Church. Post prayers answered on there. Encourage each other. Go on there and look and read. If you're praying for something and, and you're struggling with whether or not God answers prayer, go on there and look it up, man. You'll see 15, 20 people that posted what God's done today, what God's done in their lifetime about an answered prayer. Right? It's encouraged. The Bible says we're to encourage each other, doesn't it? And strengthen each other. That's one way that we can do that is by, by sharing the things that God has done. But listen, I, I love prayer. Prayer is awesome. I mean, think about what prayer is. Creator God wants to talk to us. I mean, God who, who created everything we see in the natural world and universe. He stuck the earth in the, in the corner of our galaxy called the Milky Way, where we can look out and we can see everything that's taking place in our galaxy from this one little vantage point. Right? It's not even a 
a dot. If you look at our galaxy in a picture, you can't even see our sun, much less the earth. And yet we're in a vantage point where we can observe everything in our in the known galaxy. Everything, the majority of stuff in our universe, we can, we can as far as we can see, God allows us to view the thing, the creation that he's put out there so that we can recognize his greatness. And in all this vast awesomeness of God, he's decided to make it possible that we can have an intimate relationship with him, to know him, to talk to him. I mean, that's, that is so huge. David said in Psalm 116, verse 1 through 3, he said, I love God. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy because he bends down to listen. Man, I will pray as long as I have breath. And he wrote this before he was even king, when he was going through some the most rough stuff in his entire life. I, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy because he bends down to listen. And he does that for you. He does that for me. It's awesome. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And to cleanse us from all wrongdoing. It's prayer. Confessing with our mouth. It's prayer. Romans 10, 9 says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. It's prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. How many of you have land that needs healing? I know I do. I know I have so many different areas of my life that need God's touch, God's intermission in my life. We all do. Whether you're, 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 maybe you're a young person that attends a school here in town and, and bullying is an issue. It is. It's a, it's a big issue in our schools. It's something that God can heal. It's a broken heart that God can fix. Maybe it's you, you don't have a job and you've been looking forever. There's healing that needs to be implemented, and it can be done by God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, Right? Who are the righteous? I love this verse, Jeremiah 33.3. It says, call on me and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't even know. I mean, that's a, that is such a powerful verse. Call on me and I will show you great and mighty things you can't even imagine. It's huge. So, we're talking about prayer. How do we pray? Do we have to be on our knees to pray? I, I know that, you know, when I was growing up, I remember seeing people at, at church that'd be walking around and praying with their hands up and before service walking around anointing chairs and, and praying certain ways and praying loud and praying quiet. Some people on their knees, some people flopped over on the floor. I mean, how do we, how do we pray? Because we want to be effective and powerful in our prayer life. What's that look like? I, I had a conversation with my wife just the other day about it. I was, I was talking with her and saying, you know, when I was younger and still now, when I'm getting really serious about prayer, I mean, when I'm, when I'm you know, full on serious and I'm getting in God's face, I like to get on my knees. I like to kneel before the Lord. It's like I'm kneeling before the throne of God, right? And I, I just, I love to kneel when I pray. And 
my wife shared that when when she would pray when she was younger and maybe today I don't know in in her intimate time with the Lord she would she'd curl up in her bed and she would pray and it was it was to her it was like crawling up on daddy's lap and talking to daddy I was moved by it I, I, I was like stuck in this, this land of, well, this is, this is kind of the way it's supposed to be. The Bible says we're, we need to kneel, right? But that's not what it's about. It's about connecting intimately with our Father in heaven, isn't it? I don't know what you need to do to connect intimately with your Father, but He wants to connect with you. I don't care if it's crawl under your bed and blow bubbles, sit in your closet, get on your knees, lay on your face, walk around with your hands up. Walk on your hands. I don't know. Whatever it is that, that you do to connect with God, to position yourself in, in, a, in a way that is God hearing you, and you know, man, God, I'm, I'm giving you my full attention right now. I wanna, I'm going to challenge you. That's, that's, that's where it is. There's, there's not a way, is my point. There's not a way. We write books and all sorts of stuff about, about how we should pray and, and how God hears certain prayers and, and you got to hold your arm at 43.5 degrees and, and, you know, I mean, there's nothing to it. It's talking to God because he hears you because you are the righteous. If you've ever said yes to Jesus, if you've ever, ever said, God, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, forgive my sins, Give me life. You are the righteous. Prayer is awesome. Anybody agree? So why don't we? Why don't we pray? I'm one of those people that if, if, if there's like a proverbial pink elephant hiding in the closet, some people kind of, oh, there's a pink elephant in the closet. I'm the guy that's going to grab it and pull it out and shoot it in front of everyone. Yeah, ask my wife. Yeah, and so I, th- there's a pink elephant hiding in the church. Why don't we pray? You know, if we boil it down, I think there's probably maybe three or four reasons I think that as a church we don't pray. But I think the most, the biggest one, the most important one, the most serious one we need to address this morning is I think we don't pray because we don't believe. We don't pray because we don't believe that it's going to work. On the back of the building over here, I've got a red balloon. Everybody see that? I've turned behind you. It's back there on the wall. I have a little pin at home uh, that I got a few years ago that says, Expert marksman. How many of you believe that that from up here I could shoot that balloon and pop it? How many of you believe that? With a BB gun. <laughs> David, grab that for me, would you? One. Let me see this balloon, David. Thank you, son. Little red balloon. How many of you believe that I'm, I'm a good enough shot 
that you would be willing to hold this balloon out like this for a BB gun. If you believe that I could do that, raise your hand up. See, I see some hands. Okay, now one more show of hands. How many of you would be willing to hold it in your teeth like that? Do you? Who believes that? That, that they would be willing to come put this balloon in their mouth? Come here, sir. I'm Seth. Ryan. Ryan, nice to meet you. I'm at got, got a handle? All right. You got a gun? That was a question on everybody's mind, wasn't it? All right, give me my balloon back. Thank you, sir. You can keep the slobber. I will. Give him a hand. My question for you this morning is, who believes? The people that raised their hand when they weren't holding it in their teeth, or the person who was willing to come up and put the thing in their mouth and risk everything? Which one's believing? John chapter 6, I love this story in John chapter 6. I'm going to trip on that thing. I'm going to kick it out of the way right now. <laughs> Jesus is, is, ha, has been up on the side of a mountain on the far side of the Sea of Galilee, and, and he, he preached the Sermon on the Mount, and he did some miraculous things. He, the Bible tells us that he fed over 5,000 people with uh, five loaves and two fish, right? Multiplied that to feed over 5,000 people. They all ate. They had extra left over. And Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus began to, to fear that they were going to take him captive to try to make him king, right? So the sun was starting to go down. He backed up and kind of disappeared. And the disciples uh, decided a little bit later that night, earlier in the morning, that, you know what? Jesus is not with us right now. He disappeared. So we're going we're gonna to go across the water. And so the disciples loaded up in a boat. They headed across the, the sea to the other side. Some miraculous things happened along the way. But here's Jesus on the other side of the lake. And the people that were involved in the miracle of bread were standing on the, were, came back to where Jesus was at and noticed, he's still gone, let's go find him. So they went across the, the sea, went across the, basically a big lake, I think it's sometimes something like 13 miles, the, the longest length, longest distance, and uh, three or seven miles or something, the, the narrow way. Anyway, so they end up on the other side of this thing looking for Jesus, and they find him. Jesus! We noticed you weren't over there where you, where you were before, so here it is, and uh, nice day, isn't it? And Jesus says to them, essentially, yeah, the reason you're here is because I, 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 I fed you. And they're like, well, well, yeah, that was awesome. And he says to them, don't seek after the things of the flesh as much as you seek after the things of the Spirit. And they're like, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. And then he goes on to say, you, you know, you're, you're looking after bread. You've come because you want more bread, but I'm the bread of life. And they're like, yeah, bread's awesome. If, if you're the bread of life, prove it. Give us some more bread. Right? These people were just, the, the Bible calls them disciples. 
There were hundreds of them, if not thousands, that had followed Jesus before this point, and they'd called him rabbi, teacher. They followed after him. They followed him from place to place because of the miracles that he did. And then Jesus went on to tell them, look, I'm the bread of life. You, you've got to consume me, and you've got to drink my blood if you're going to have life. And they're like, whoa, that's crazy. We just want more bread. And he went on and he taught. And he, the Bible says he went and taught in the synagogue, and, and pretty soon... All these people who followed him began to leave, and they said, you know what, this is, this is too difficult of a teaching. We don't get this. Jesus was basically saying, we must be consumed with a hunger and a thirst for Jesus, for him, above all things. And the people didn't get it. They were caught up on wanting bread and cannibalism. I mean, they were absolutely missing the heart of God. And I... I the most amazing thing about this story is we get to uh, the point where everybody leaves. Everybody said, you know what? We, we, I don't know about this. This, this is getting, this, this is getting too intense. The commitment is getting a little too serious and everyone left except the 12 disciples that began to follow, that followed Jesus from that point forward. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says to Peter, aren't you going to leave too? And he says to them, where are we going to go? You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Where are we going to go? I mean, Peter and, the, and these disciples came to a place in their thinking, in the realization of who Jesus was. They crossed a line from, from we can follow you up to a point to there's no going back from this. We know too much. If we walk away from this, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? See, they stepped from believing that to believing in. What do I mean by that? There are two different types of belief. There's believing that and there's believing in. Believing that, I can believe that Jesus died on the cross. I can believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I can believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But the Bible even says that the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they tremble. What we need is believing in. Better translated, trusting in. See, there, there are two places that we, that we can be at where intellectually we understand and believe intellectually that Jesus is this. Just like the people that followed after him, they believed that Jesus could do miraculous things. But when it came down to it, did they, were they willing to put their trust and their life in him? And that's why Jesus turned to, to his 12 and said, where are you going to go? Are you going to go? And they're like, where, where would we go? I mean, we are fully committed. There is nothing we could do, no place we could go apart from you. We are committed to you. Our life is invested in you now. How do we perceive Jesus when it begins to cost us? I assure you, following Jesus will cost you, and it will cost me. It'll cost us 
in, in the way of, of selfishness. It'll cost us in way of commitment. If we're going to be people of prayer, we have to commit to that, don't we? we where are we going to go? Just like Peter said, what are we going to do? When, when something comes up in your life, where do you go? Is Jesus the first person you turn to? Or do, or do we turn to other places and, and think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this first, and I'm going to try out all these other options, and if none of this stuff works, then, then I'll go to Jesus. Or are we going to be like Peter and the disciples and say, I got no place else to go. I have no other answer. I know that you are the answer. Does that mean we like don't go to the hospital if we get sick? I know that's kind of the question in everybody's mind, right? No. Let's look back at, at James chapter 5. He says right here in James chapter 5, um, Verse, let's start at verse 12. It says, above all, my brethren, don't, don't, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. If anyone is among you who's suffering, this is, it doesn't mean sickness suffering. It means from bad decisions or decisions made by somebody else that are affecting you. Let him pray. If anyone's cheerful, let him sing praises. If anyone is among you who's sick, let him call on the elders of the church. Number one. And let, the, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Back then, they believed that anointing with oil was a heal-all, fix-all to everything, right? And James is saying to, to, to the church, it doesn't mean you don't go to the hospital. But who do you go to first? Jesus. You pray on the way to the hospital, right? We don't neglect doing the stuff because God works through that. But we also want to make sure that where, where is our faith? Is our faith in their ability to heal? Or is our faith in God's ability to direct for his perfect will and sovereignty over our lives and over his church? So imagine this. I'm going to wrap it up here in just a second. Imagine this. You're in an airplane. And... You get up to about 30,000 feet, you're cruising along, and, and if you're afraid of flying, I, I apologize now. You're cruising at about 30,000 feet, and the stewardess comes up to you, and you're, you're half asleep, zonked out on your pillow, and, and daydreaming about this flight being over, because these are the, the most uncomfortable chairs known to man. And they only lean back far enough to torture you more than they lean forward and as you're, as you're sitting there, dozing off, the stewardess comes over. She taps you on the shoulder, and she says, Sir, I have to tell you something. I haven't told everyone on the flight this yet, but this plane is not going to be able to land. This plane is going down. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of it's going to happen. So, sir, I want to tell you, underneath your seat is a parachute. I mean, in real life, we get the thing that falls down out of the, out of the thing. You put it on, tuck your head between your legs, right? So this isn't quite real life, but just imagine. The stewardess says, under your seat is a parachute. And then she goes on to, to, to tell others. My question for you again is this. Do you believe that that parachute is there and leave it? Or do you take that parachute out and put it on and allow it to alter every decision you make from, from that point forward because you know that things are not going to end the way you dreamed of them ending? Church, I assure you, I, I have a manual right here that tells me 
how all of creation is going to end from start to finish. That the way things are now are not going to be forever. The pain and suffering that we, that we go through now will not be forever. There's going to come a point. God's going to restore all things. But it's going to be a rough flight to get to that point. Do we believe that the parachute is going to help us or do we put it on? That's my question for you. Are you do you believe that Jesus can save you? Do you believe that Jesus can work in your circumstance? Or do you trust in him with everything in you, knowing that he is your savior, that he is the answer? The Bible says to put on Christ. And that's what I want to challenge you guys with this morning. If you've never taken the opportunity to step from believing that intellectually Jesus is to believing in, to putting on Christ, to to stepping into he's my only hope. I want to welcome you to do that this morning. Before we do that, though, I, I want to I, I want to ask one more one more question. Have you given up on prayer? I have. I got out of it, luckily. But there was a time in my life when when I said, you know what, Pr- prayer. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm done. I'll tell you about that another time. But I want to assure you that God works on behalf of His righteous people doesn't say anywhere perfect people we are all messed up and flawed and and jacked up in every way humanly possible but you know what that's the wonderful benefit of salvation God no longer sees you as you he sees you as he sees Christ isn't that a great thing let's close our eyes up for just a minute I want to pray for you if you're here today and and you know, you recognize your sin, you recognize your life where it's at, and you, and you think, man, you know what? God would look at me and think, just nothing good. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. God wants to see you as he sees Jesus. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to assure a place in eternity for you with him. But it comes, the Bible says, that we have to believe in him. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to give you just a minute this morning before the Lord to maybe make your first prayer. And it's simply something like this. God, would you forgive me for my sin? I believe in Jesus. Lord, I'm stepping from believing that and all the stuff I've heard at church in the past and all this stuff that's brought me to where I am and I'm taking the step to believe in. If that's you this morning, would you look up at me? I just want to acknowledge with you this morning that, that you're forgiven. You looking at me? You're forgiven.